Well, what's good? Hopefully, this series has been encouraging to you. Hopefully, it's been inspiring to you. So this whole series, we're in week two, and it's called Pivot, Changing How We View God. Changing How We View God. When I was in elementary school, I, I was on a basketball team, and I was dribbling down the court, and then I stopped, and then I started dribbling again, and then the whistle blew. Then I was looking around like, okay, who, who got in trouble? Well, then the official came over, grabbed the ball from me, and gave it to the other team and said that I was double dribbling or traveling. <laughs> Just say the next practice, I learned what a pivot foot was. Uh, a pivot foot is when you have one foot anchored to the floor, and then you're able to pass, you're able to shoot, you're able to move around as much as you can because you have one foot pivoted to the ground, staying anchored to the ground. You have the freedom to move around because you're anchored, you're pivoted to the ground. Pivot, it also means the central or most important person or thing. And in this case, in basketball, your foot is central to you having the freedom to move around. And this whole series is that God is our pivot. And he gives us the freedom to move around in and through him. We're able to move. We're able to have the freedom to have all of that because we're in God. God is our pivot. That last week we looked at we can trust God. God is empathetic. He offers grace. He's slow to get angry. God is is kind, God is trustworthy, and God is committed. That is who God is, and yeah, we can trust him. And today we're going to look at the question of, what does God want for me? What does God want for me? And this seems like a trap question, doesn't it? And some of us have a hard time believing that God wants anything for us. Maybe you're in a relationship and you're used, maybe even abused, and it seems as if no one's ever asking what you want. No one's ever asking what you desire, what, you're, you, what you've been dreaming for, what you've been praying for. And maybe you've experienced transference. And what I mean by that is you've been so jaded because of how people have treated you, you've turned that over to God. And you look at God and like, okay, why would God be any different? Why would God be any different? And some of us, man, we're still thinking about what it was like growing up at church. It was what you could not do, right? Say no to this, say no to this, say no to this. There was a lot of no's and not a lot of yes. And maybe we're thinking that, man, I feel like God is just a taker. And maybe you went to a church and it talked about what you have to give up for God. The fact is, you left thinking, okay, God's a taker, he's not a giver. And we've sort of transferred our jadedness over to faith, over to religion. Guys, this goes back a very long time with how we communicate, with how we worship. Uh, from the very beginning, we created gods out of what we could see. We worship what we could see. Uh, the core of religion hasn't changed. The core of religion is, is you. It's worship in religion is like gambling. The house always wins. It's not a good form of gambling. It's an ineffective bartering system at best. Say you're a farmer in 2000 B.C., you go to your local temple, and there your priest is there, and you walk into a room, and you give a sacrifice to the statue in front of you. And so let's say um, you're in Samaria, and it's Enki. Enki was a Sumerian god of knowledge, and yeah, you guessed it, water. So you're a farmer, you need crops. So you offer this sacrifice to this statue, and Enki was a goatfish. And then you do your sacrifice, the priest comes over, the priest is like, what can we do for you? And you're like, look, I need some good crops. The priest tells you to do a few things. 
and you leave there knowing what you need to do in order for Enki to give you water for your crops. And so it's almost like you are living with an eye to the sky, trying to be on your best behavior so that Enki can give you good corn that year. And then you fast forward to Greek and Roman religion. Gods had their flaws. Each had a, like a backstory of baggage. <laughs> like seriously, they were relatable, but they were not personal. You had Zeus, and he kind of hooked up with another goddess, and they had a baby. And it was the weirdest thing, man. Like you can't really make up this stuff. But everyone had a backstory. It was relatable. But the biggest difference between the gods and people were the fact that people didn't have power, people didn't have authority, and people didn't have God status. That's the thing that made gods different than people. And people knew that gods put up with people. And what happened was is people treated people like the gods treated people. And then Judaism. Judaism was different. God's people lived a different way. They lived with a different core. They lived with a different center because God was different. God didn't have a backstory. He was, he is, and he will be. God was personal. God created us in his image there is no God like God. And instead of religion being about the worshiper, our, the core of our faith is God. And then until Jesus showed up, they would sacrifice. Not to get something out of God, but they would sacrifice so their relationship with God could be made right. They longed for that perfect Jew to come, the Messiah, that he would come and bring God's kingdom Everything would be back to what it was supposed to, God and his people. And so they, until then, they lived with this confession. And it was called the Shema. And it's in Deuteronomy 6. Every morning, every night, they would recite this confession. Remember how last week we talked about how Jesus was satisfied, he was filled with following what God wanted for him? Jesus said to his students, he said, look, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then he preached to the crowds. He said, for I have come down to, from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, that I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is like, look, there's some good Middle Eastern food here. There's some good drinks. But the thing that satisfies me most is doing what God wants me to do. And Jesus was willing to do what God wanted him to do because of who God was and who God is. The followers of Jesus, man, we're in the same position as Jesus. He says, look, if you love me, you will keep my commands. One of the things that Jesus kept was the Shema. This was written by Moses, and it said this, Listen, Israel, the Lord, and every time you see the Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, it was God's relationship name with his people, that if you had a relationship with God, you call call him lord or yahweh or jehovah you could call him that it's like brooke calls me dad and she's the only one that calls me dad we have that relationship it's the same thing if you're in relationship with god you can call him his personal name so cool our god the lord is one love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength and these words that i'm giving you today are to be in your heart this is what god wants for you and it hasn't changed it's what he wanted for his people what he wants for his church it hasn't changed let's take a closer look at what god wants for you and what he wants for me the word listen is the hebrew word shema it's a verb and it means more than hearing it means listen and obey 
So Jenny tells Brooke, <laughs> on a regular basis, mind you, she's like, baby girl, you got one job in this world right now. What is it? And Brooke will look her in the eye. Obey. She's like, exactly. We want you to obey. That's the one job that you have in life right now is to listen and obey. And we teach her to do two things. One, when someone, a parent, a grandparent, a teacher is looking at her, we want her to look them in the eye. Number two, we want her to focus. That means stop fiddling with something, stop watching the the TV, and focus on what is being said because two things happen. You show respect and you show honor to the person that's speaking to you. Listen and obey. See, the rabbis would have taught that when you listen and obey, when you shema, you respect the one that's giving you the command. So what we're doing is we're honoring and respecting God. Guys, the truth is a lot of us adults can listen to our own advice. I think we're distracted. Like it feels impossible to focus at times. Maybe you, you started wanting to pray in the morning or maybe you're praying on your way to work and before you, I mean, you're like five seconds in and then you're thinking, I have that meeting, I have to call that person, I have to make sure I order that. And all of a sudden, you stop praying and you start getting on with your job. Or maybe you start, you start you, you, you're doing your best to read the Bible. And so you have your app open and all of a sudden, ding, notification, ding, text message, another notification. So you click the notification because, oh, I didn't know my team won last night. So you click on the notification. And then you read through how they won, and then there's clickbait. Elon Musk and a goat have in common what? And you're like, oh, i got to figure that out. And we just kind of look at it. It's the craziest thing. We get sucked into all this clickbait. We're like, oh, man, where was I? Oh, yeah, Romans 1. We have a hard time getting back into it. Here's the good news. God knows that about you. God knows that about me. He knows that about us. And he does something about it. He provides us his spirit to clear our mind, to sit still, and to stay in the moment. Listen. He says, love the Lord your God. Love is the word ahava, and it means to care. Have you ever seen those drinks? Um, It's like A-H-A, aha, those like flavored water drinks. It's kind of like that, ahava, ahava. And throughout the Old Testament, it relates to caring between a parent and a child, between friends and between a people and a king, a loyalty. So this whole idea of Ahava is Moses is trying to explain to Israel that God's Ahava for them cannot be earned, it cannot be deserved, that God loves them because he is loving. It's who he is. God provides Ahava because God is Ahava. Does that make sense? So God's Ahava is eternal because he's eternal. There's no beginning, there's no end, and it's no obligation. He wants to give you ahava. And so Israel is called to return this undeserved ahava by showing God ahava, by showing ahava to others. The way that we love God is by loving others. And guys, we're capable of sh- to show ahava because we're created in God's image. You can do it, I can do it, because we're created in God's image. We show this through our actions. And this means if we're not showing ahava through action, it means that most likely we haven't been changed by God's ahava or that we don't have ahava. Maybe, maybe this will help. A, a way to show love to my daughter is to spend time with her. So we, I dress up. I have a crown sometimes on my head. Uh, tea parties. Uh, we wrestle. Um, or 
I show love by helping her ride a bike, do homework, uh, provide for her food, clothes, and teach her. We do devotionals together. We read together. If I'm not doing those things, I'm not a loving father. If I don't do those things, I'm an unloving father. If I'm not showing love, and when I say I love you to her, in her mind, love means absence. But if I'm willing to show her that I love her, and when I say I love her, love equals presence. The same thing can happen in your marriage. The same thing refers to your, your friendships as well. Okay, heart. The Hebrew word is love. And ancient Jews, they understood that you had a vital organ named the heart, but they also use and refer to the mind as the heart. The word love referred to thoughts and understanding and also emotions. And so it really comes down to your will and your affection. It, it, your heart, your love is your will and your affection, your thoughts, your feelings, your cares. It's who you are. Later on in the Old Testament, Jeremiah says that all of us have a broken love. We all have a broken heart and that God will give us, provide for us a new heart. And that comes when Jesus is here. So when Jesus showed up, he was able to provide a new heart. E even Solomon says, guard your heart, guard your love above all else for it determines the course of your life. So as followers of Jesus, man, we are called to love God with our will and our affection. And then soul, soul, the Hebrew word is nephesh. It's a word for throat. Yeah, the thing between your head and your shoulders, th this thing, the, the throat. And it's referring to what comes in and out of your body. So nephesh can refer to the whole of a person. So throughout the Old Testament, it refers to humans. It refers to descendants and even a corpse. It talks about your body, the whole of you. So Jews understood that you did not have a nephesh, but that you were a nephesh, that you were a living, breathing, physical being created in God's image. So Jews understood that a throat may thirst for water. Your whole, but, your whole being thirst to know and to be known of God. The songwriter says, as the deer longs for the streams of water, so I long for you, O God. Psalm 42.1 We are called to love God with our whole life and body. And then strength. It's a very common and used Hebrew word, mi'od. That's what it's, mi'od. And it means much. It means much. It's been translated strength and wealth. But Jesus breaks it down this way. He said in so many words that there is not a limit on how we can love God. There's not a limit on how we can love God, no matter where you are, who you are, there's always an opportunity to devote muchness to God. And that's really what miod means, our muchness. So I can make much time for God by maximizing the time I spend with him. He has my full attention. So we are called to devote our muchness to God. So you remember the question, what does God want for me? Remember that question, what does God want for me? Does it still seem like a trap question? Because by living out the Shema, we're able to live a full life. We're able to live a life the way that God meant us to live. Maybe you have a hard time believing that God wants anything for you. Remember that it's unfair 
to transfer any of your jadedness to God. Why? Because God is God. You get what you get with him. He doesn't change. I mean, who wouldn't want someone that empathizes? Who's gracious? Who gives you the benefit of the doubt? Who offers grace? Who's slow to get angry? Committed? Trustworthy? Who wouldn't want that in a relationship? Guys, we've settled for less. We've settled for less than that in some important relationships. We married a person that obviously we're missing some of those qualities. We started working for a business that was missing these qualities. We had a friendship uh, with someone that we love, but yet they didn't have these qualities. But yet God has these qualities. We've settled for less than that in other important relationships. Why are we missing and not jumping in our relationship with God when he's willing to be all those things? Not only does God reveal who he is to us, but he shows how we can live how we were meant to live. Look, God values freedom. God gave Adam and Eve freedom. And they had two choices. One, enjoy the freedom they had by being known by God. So enjoy the freedom of being known by God. Or they were free to choose to eat a fruit that kept them hiding from God. I think that's where some of us are, man. We're hiding. We are ashamed because we have pivoted on something that has been changing. And the whistle blew on us. We got caught. Whether we got caught in a lie, whether we got caught cheating, whether we got caught hurting someone, we got caught. God wants you to know him. It's never too late to say, you know what, God, I'm guilty. I need to come to you. Because God wants you to know him and how you know him is by opening yourself up to him as, as you love God with your will, with your entire being, with your muchness, with your everything. You'll enjoy life because you enjoy God. That's what it comes down to. In order for us to enjoy life, we need to enjoy God. And this is how we enjoy God. And this is how we enjoy life. You want to find life? Open yourself up to God. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this unique opportunity to come before you and learn more about you. God, I'm asking for those who are hiding right now that you would give them the strength to come out, to throw up that white flag and say, you know what, I surrender. I'm done trying to do this on my own. I'm done trying to find a pivot that keeps moving. I ask that you would become their pivot. I ask they would surrender. They will accept what Christ has done for them. And then, Father, for those who are Christians and they have not, they have not been living the way they need to live or they want to live, they desire to live, maybe it's because they've been distracted or maybe because they've been hurting, I ask that, Father, you would free them I ask that you will help them understand that they can lean in on you. They can trust the Holy Spirit to help them to sit still, have their mind clear, and stay in the moment. So Father, if anything, I ask people take a next step, whatever it looks like, whether trusting Christ or 
doing everything they can to sit still, have their mind clear, and stay in the moment. So Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to live out Deuteronomy 6. In Jesus' name, amen.